Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, and, uh, and we'll get started. This is a great time to be here because we're starting a brand new series today called All Things Are Yours. And the, the heart behind this, the thing that the Lord really just opened up to me, and the reason why I, I just started putting this together, I thought the Lord leading us, is because there, there are so many things that we see in Scripture and we see in our life today where there are genuine people who have their faith in Jesus. Their faith is truly in Christ. Um, they, they just, they, they, they're, they're genuine. They're not religious. They're not humanistic. They're just, their faith is genuine. It's genuinely in Christ and they, and they love the Lord. But there, is, there seems to be just a, a, a big space between their reality and the reality of God's promise about their life. And if you go through and you read some of the letters that Paul writes, this isn't something that, that just started in the last little while. This is something that, that has been going on from day one, that, that, that he can, Paul can look into the, like the Corinthians' life, who he's writing this letter to, the city of Corinth and the church of Corinth and the people who have faithfully followed. And what you see, if you, once you get past the first three or four chapters on end, you see that these, these are people who, who are genuinely followers of Jesus, but they have so many things going on in their life. There's so much division. I mean, I know that, that, that there's no division in our country right now or anything, but there's, there's so much division. There's like this, this seems to be this overwhelming just sin, just it creeps in and out of the church. There's like this unrest. There's, this, there's people just living without peace. There's, just, there's all kinds of things going on, and, and, and there's like this fear, and there's a persecution, and there's, there's this crazy stuff, and, and Paul starts to speak to them, and he doesn't come to them with judgment or condemnation or, or frustration or anger. What he begins to write is this. He begins to tell them that he, he's convinced that what is separating them from living out the promises of God and living out the reality of what God has for them is the simple lack of knowledge of who God really is and the things that we've really gained in Christ. And the reality of it is, as he paints this picture, he says, listen, everybody, the fo everybody's foundation is the same. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're a follower of Christ, your foundation is that reality of who Christ is, that, that I, my faith is in Christ, my trust is in Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. He said, but what is built on top of that matters. He says to the point that if you begin to build something on top of that, that, that can't stand or that's not real or, or that's different, that you can, you can have your faith in Jesus, but then lack knowledge of God and who God is and lack the deep truths of Scripture, and your life can eventually look like or you can begin to live like that you might not even know Jesus. And so he begins to paint this picture, and he begins to go through this, and he, he, he arrives at this, this one verse. And I want to tell you how we get here. Because what happened is, is, is Paul came in, and he begins to preach the gospel, and, and Paul's an, a crazy, amazing leader, and he's got all this knowledge, and, and, he's just, and everybody, there's so many people that look to him and follow him, and, and they, they, start to, they start to almost put their faith in Paul rather than in God. And then there's another leader named Apollos, and he's there, and he's, he's a great charismatic leader, and, and he's preaching God's word, and he's laying down, and he's leading the people, and people start to, start to kind of put their faith in him. And then Peter, the Cephas and Peter, the, the same Peter that walked with Jesus, and, and he's doing all this. God's using him to do great mighty things, and guys start trying to start, kind of come under him and start to kind of put their faith in him, and there starts to be all this division going on, and people are starting to put their faith in like religious systems and, and the ideas of religion and philosophy and different leaders, and, and they even get to the point to where they're like, they're boasting about these leaders. They're, they're boasting about their, their denomination. They're boasting about their system. They're boasting about what's going on, and Paul comes in, and he says, guys, this is so wrong. He says, you have this view of man, this high view of man, because you, you miss the reality of who God is. 
And so he kind of goes through this and he gets to this point and he says this, this kind of overwhelming thing. And it's one of those things in the Bible. And there's a few scriptures like this where you read it and it, it's so deep and it involves so much that you got one of two things. You can just sit there and let it just mess your world up or you can do what most of us do and we just bypass it, go to the next thing and move on. But he makes this kind of this outrageous statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. And this morning, I want to show you why this isn't that outrageous. And why that if you can come to the, to the knowledge that he's trying to give us, that it can free you from so many different things in your life. It can, it can open up a joy in your life that you didn't think was possible in this world. This is what he says. He gets down to this point. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, So then, no more boasting about men. No more boasting about human leaders. No more boasting about the t- no more boasting about religious. No more boasting about human humanism. Philosophy. No more boasting about humanity. He spends the two chapters before this dissecting the difference between God's wisdom and human wisdom. And he said, there's nothing within a human being. There's nothing within a, something that a human creates. There's nothing within a nation, within a king, within a leader, within a, within a political party. There's nothing within anything inside of humanity that is worth boasting about. It's all God's. He says, no more boasting in men. And then he, he goes to this thing. He says, because all things are yours. All things are yours. All things are yours. And this is one of those things where you're sitting there and you're like, you're like, oh, well, he, you know, he can't mean all things are mine. Like all things, like the entirety of the word all, all things, all things are mine. And just in case you started to guess what it means and didn't mean, he goes in and he breaks it down. He goes in the next verse. He says, listen, he said, whether it's Paul, because remember the whole thing's coming back because they're putting their faith in men and, and they're starting to attach themselves to, to people and religious systems. He says, whether it's Paul or it's Apollos or if it's Cephas, which means Peter, whether it's Cephas or the world or life or death or present or future, all are yours. All are yours. Now I want you just for a second I would say, just take a second and think about that, but you really can't think about that. What does that mean? I mean, we can, we can probably come to terms in our minds. We can probably get to a place where we get the, we get the idea of Paul and Apollos and see, we can kind of get that. But then when he bypasses that and he goes and he says, the world is yours. Just stop for thinking about that for a minute. You have some type of right to the world. You have some type of possession to the world. There's the world, not, not a piece of the world, not your home, not just your house, not just what goes on in your world, but everything in the world somehow is, is yours and for you and for your benefit. There's something about the entirety of the world that is yours, that's for you. And if you take a second, you start thinking about all the hurricanes that's come through. And the tornadoes and the natural disasters and the earthquakes and, and all the things that are taking place and, and all the wars going on and all the, all the darkness and all the evil and all the things going on. And, and Paul, as he's going through human wisdom and, and God's wisdom, and he's talking about there's no power in religious systems, and he, he's talking about putting your faith in God, and he gets to this, this, this crazy point, and he's starting to say, listen, the world and everything in the world, it's yours. It's for you. You have a right to it. You have a right to benefit from it. There's something in this world. And when you're sitting here and you look at the world... That doesn't always seem like a positive thing. Just say for a second, you believe that the world was actually yours in the fullness of what this means. The world is yours. And you're looking around, you're going, the world's not that fantastic. It's broken. It's dark. 
There's so much evil, so much corruption, so much murder, so much death, so much war, so much. The, what, 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 one, I don't even know that I can understand how the good things are mine, but I don't know that I even want to own the bad things. The world is mine. Think back to Scarface. For all the 40 plus and the sinners that watch radar movies like me. The world is yours. And if you can just somehow come to that comprehension, and then, and then he goes on and he says, life is yours. Life is yours. Now, this is difficult for a believer. If you, just, if you stop for a second and you think about the majority of people, the majority of time, they don't possess life. Life possesses them. They don't own life. They're not in control of life. Life is in control of them. It, it's like as you wake up in the morning and you go about your day, you think about the things that control you, the things that move you, the things that, that are going on in your life. Think about the insecurities that you have, the things you worry about, and the anxiety that you possess in your life. It just seems like in the last 10 years, like anxiety wasn't even a thing like 20 years ago, and now it's like everybody's got anxiety issues. Facebook, social media, it's put us in this place to where we now know what we aren't good at, for sure. We, we kind of, the way Facebook is, is we didn't, nobody ever posts the, the, the good things that happen. I, sometimes I'll post the bad things, like last night I caught my porch on fire, put that on Facebook. It's a long story, doesn't matter. But most of the time, if we're going through social media, we, we, get, we get pulled into this comparison trap, and we start looking at our life, and we're going, man, you know, our life's not that fantastic. They're driving this, and they're doing that, and all these things are good, and every time they post pictures, everybody looks happy. Man, I'm on the edge of divorce. Everybody just looks happy and good, but it's like life. You don't, you're not sitting there in this moment right now for many of us, and we start thinking about the day-to-day -day life, right? We lack purpose in our life. We don't know what life's about. There's so many things that we think is going to bring meaning, we think is going to bring contentment, and then we, we get those things, and we're like, no, nah, that, that wasn't it. And, and we go, there's so much ounce of anxiety and depression, these things that kind of seep in because we lose joy in this world and in this life. And so you're sitting here, and you're going, Paul's saying all things are yours, and Paul and Apollos and, and Peter and the world, and now you're talking about life, and I don't feel like I have any right to life. I feel like life owns me most of the time. I don't feel confident in myself. I don't feel like I got life figured out. I don't feel like I know where I'm going. And while you're chewing on that, Paul goes on to death. When's the last time you just sat around and thought about death? The reality is some of us do. Some of us do because we're not as young as we used to be. We're not as healthy as we used to be. And the reality of it is if your brain can somehow come to the comprehension of the world and somehow come to the comprehension of life, now you get to death. And this is something that, that, that I, I think that should ruin your whole day and your whole week and your whole life if you don't know Jesus. Death is the one thing, no matter what you think life is about, if your faith is not in Christ, death is the one thing that will take everything from you. Death is that thing, no matter what you think life is about, no matter what you're committing your days to, no matter what you're raising up, what you're building, what you're putting in the bank, how big your house gets, whatever your goals are, whatever you think life is about, the one thing that's going to come and steal your joy and steal your peace, if you just stop and you think about the reality of it, is if you don't believe in God and you don't know Jesus, then death should be the thing that ruins every single day for you because it makes everything meaningless. What's the point? What can you do that death won't take from you? Who do you love that death won't take from you? How many years do you think that you have before you meet death? Everybody's like, everybody said I should come visit Pursuit, and I'm really regretting that decision. 
I mean, just think about it for a second. There is absolutely nothing you can put your hands to. Nobody you can love. Nothing you can gain. Nothing you can build. I mean, this is why Solomon and all his glory and all his grandeur and all his success got to the end of his life. Look back on all the women. Look back on all the kingdoms that he built. Look back on all the wisdom, on all the wealth, on all the success, on everything that he did. Put it all in the one and he said, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. There's nothing involved in it. The thing that you're working for, he accomplished that. And he said nothingness, meaningless. If you go through and you read Ecclesiastes, the book Solomon wrote of the first few chapters, you would literally walk away and go, yep, that's it, nothing, literally no point to living. His point was because death takes everything. There's nothing that I can build. There's no amount of money that I'm not going to hand over when death comes. Death should be the most terrifying thing to you if you don't know Jesus. And you might not believe in God and you might not buy the Jesus thing and someone tricked you into coming and, and you don't know why you're here right now and you can disagree with everything I say. But the one thing you and I have to agree on, unless you are absolutely clinically insane, is that you won't live forever. No matter what you think life is about, death will take that thing from you and will end this thing called life. And then he moves on and he says, the present is yours. Everything that's going on right now, everything, the kingdoms, the nations, the leaders, the presidents, the division, the riots, everything that's happening in our country, everything that's going on in your life, all your worry, all your anxiety, all your insecurities, all your fear, everything that is your present, the mountaintops, the valleys, the victories, the defeats, everything that makes up your life, he says, that's yours. Everything that makes up the present right now, that's yours. Everything going on right now, you have a right to that. You have some type of ownership to that. You should benefit from that. We can't come to that comprehension. And then he goes, and the future, the things to come are yours. This is the thing that, that this is why anxiety exists in our, in our world right now. Because we are so afraid we won't have enough tomorrow. Things won't, we won't reach our goals tomorrow. We, won't, we don't know, we're afraid of what's going to bring. Whatever, we're, whatever we think should happen, we're afraid that it's not going to happen. We have this incessant negativity in our society. And we can just look around and we can see, well, that's not going to be good. And that's not going to be good. And that's why this is not going to happen. I, that's not my personality. I, it's very difficult for me to be around negative people. When they look into something, and they just see, well, you know, here's 85,000 reasons why this could go wrong. There are some people that I can sit there and have a pray for 10 hours. Read the word. Be filled with faith. I can have a five-minute conversation with somebody, and they can literally make me doubt the world. Yeah, you seem all excited about two services. What if it rains? What if nobody comes? You know, might not, you know, what the one service is. What if it might? I mean, you're sitting there. I'm just talking. I'm like, is this how you live your life? No wonder you hate your life. But it's that fear of tomorrow. But Paul says, listen, the future is yours. You have some right to it. It can benefit you. And here's the reality. For most of us right now, we're sitting here, and you might even be lost with what I'm saying. Because when you start talking about, like, like you don't even know what you're going to have for lunch, and Paul's like, world is yours, life is yours, death is yours, the present is yours, and the things that come are yours. And you're like, I just, I'm thinking about having a burger maybe. Paul just goes to this level of, of depth that we, we can't even comprehend. It's almost uncomfortable for us to comprehend it. 
The reality is, is that there's a lot of us sitting here right now and you, you, don't, you don't even understand how this could be yours and how this could be good. You don't even understand. Like You, you, feel, like, you feel like life is like your version of, of knowing Jesus is just like, okay, this life is going to suck, but one day I'll die and I'll go to heaven, so it'll be good. I just got to get through it. But that's not what Christ says. He says, I come that you may have life and that you may have it abundant. I come not that sin will own you, but that you will be set free from it. I've come so that you will have joy and peace instead of anxiety and fear. He said, these are the things that should be in your life. And this is the conclusion that Paul came to, and this is the conclusion that I'm coming to in my own life, and I think for many of us sitting in this room this morning, is that it's, it's not your, the reality that God has promised, the reality that God says, the only thing that's separating you from walking in that is a lack of knowledge of the fullness of who God is and what God has done for you and the fullness of what you actually possess in Christ. Because for many of us, for most of us, the fullness of our relationship with Christ was strictly to save us from hell and save us to heaven. And that's ball game. That's it. Now we just live our life and then we die. But it's so much more than that. The fullness of it is ins- it's so much more than what our, our religion lets us comprehend, what humanism lets us comprehend, what our pride lets us comprehend. It's a lack of knowledge. And I want to show you this sentence as, as Paul's laying the groundwork in the first chapter of Corinthians as he's driving to this crazy statement, all things are yours. Paul, Apollo, Cephas, the world, life, death, present, future, all things, everything, all things are for you. They're yours. You have a possession to them because you're of Christ and Christ is of God. There is, some, there is a lack of knowledge in our lives that prevents us from walking in the fullness of this reality. And Paul begins to lay that groundwork in the very first chapter. He gets to this thing and he, he says something. He goes, I want you guys to know I thank God for you every day because I know that your faith is genuine. I know that, you're, I know that you have, have, have your faith in Christ. I know that you trust the Lord. I know that. But the way that you're living, the things that are, it's not even necessarily just about sin and about wrong. It's you're missing out on the blessings and the promises of God because you do not realize the fullness of what you have in God. So he begins to go down the line and he says, listen, I want you to know that in Christ you've been enriched in every way and you don't lack any spiritual thing, any spiritual gift. And then he gets to this one statement, this one sentence in chapter one. He says in verse 8, he will sustain you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you just to, just for a second, I want you to, I want you to go with me. He says that he, God, God will sustain you. God will keep you strong to the end. God will establish you to the end. God will make you firm to the end. God will establish your steps all the way to the end, all the way to the day that you stand before Jesus. And on that day, he says, you're going to be blameless before him. Now, I want you to understand the reality. Do you know, like, if, 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 if you knew the future, how much power does that give you today? If you knew, if somebody, remember back to the future. I love back to the future. Every time it's on, and it's on somewhere, it seems like every day. I used to love the movie, and, I, and the one where he goes and he gets the, the farmer's almanac, and it gives him all the sports and stuff, and then they take it back, and, they, and they're just billions and billions of dollars. Why? Because they knew the end. If you know the end of something, then you, you can sit, you don't have to worry because you know how it's going to play out. You don't have to think about it because no matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing, if you know the end, 
You can bet the way you need to bet or do the things you need to do. You know what's happening because you know the end. There's a significant power in knowing the end of a game, knowing the end of a walk, knowing the end of a journey. It, it can sit here because you don't almost not even need faith at that point. If, if, if you know the end of something while you're sitting here today, if you know the end, then you know no matter what happens from this day to that, on that day, I'm going to be blameless before Jesus Christ. And it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent. I'm not the one sustaining myself. I'm not the one establishing myself. It's God, the God who created the universe, the God who formed everything. He's the one that's sustaining us. This is a crazy sentence in the Bible. It says, I am the one sustaining you. This is God speaking to his people. I am the one sustaining you to the point that on the day you stand before my son Jesus, you will be blameless. That's what you think about this. And I, I don't want to warn you. All right? Religion is going to lean you away from the reality of this statement. Humanism is going to lead you away from the reality of this statement. Pride is going to lead you away from the reality of this statement. Because there's something about a human heart and a human mind that wants to say, look what I did. But God says, it cannot be dependent on you. I'm the one that sustains you. The very next verse, it says, God, the one who called you into a fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. I'm the one sustaining you. And why can you count on that reality? Because I am God and I am faithful. It's not dependent on your faithfulness. Think about a reality where your entire world depends on your strength and your ability to hold true, your ability not to waver. Many of us, we've gotten super good at religion. So we've gotten super good at hiding the secret sins. We can even hide it from our wife and our kids and our husband and our kids. We can even hide it from the people closest to us. And we can paint this picture and we can go to church and we can do the religious thing. But the reality, if you sit here in this moment, you know that there's some secret sin in your life. You know that there's some stuff going on. And you know right now how many times you fail. You know right now how many times you fall away. You know right now how many times you make bad decisions. Think about that. Nobody in the moment makes a bad decision on purpose. Nobody goes, this decision right here is going to ruin my life and do it. You think it's a good thing. I mean, how many of you, when you turn 30, look back on the 20-year-old you and go, man, he was so much wiser. The opposite happens. You look back and go, what an idiot. Y'all do it about every 10 years. I do it every 7 to 10 days. I look back and go, God, he's an idiot. I've come to a place in my life with God. I know that if, if, if life was dependent on me, it's over. If my marriage was dependent on me, it's over. If my daughter's life and my son's life's dependent on me, they don't have a shot. Religion will tell you otherwise. Humanism will tell you otherwise. Pride will tell you otherwise. But God says, you've got to understand, I'm the one that's sustaining you. I'm the one that, that's driving you. No matter you try to go right, you try to go left, I'm the one that's sustaining you. I promise you that no matter what life brings to your door, no matter what you go through or what you do or what you accomplish or don't accomplish, what victory you live or, or defeat you live through, no matter what it is, from this day to that, I'm the one that's going to sustain you to the point that when you stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, in that day you will be blameless. What that should do is free you as you live every single day of your life. But there's something in you that's going to that's gonna want to take away from that. And if you, if you get to that reality, if you can just get to that reality, I am convinced 99% 
of the problems that Christians have in this life come from simply not believing God's word to its fullest extent. Because we have a culture, we have an age, and we have an enemy that spends every ounce, every second of its existence trying to convince you to not believe God's word. Trying to convince you that you're ugly when God made you beautiful. Trying to convince you that there is no meaning when God said, I've come to give you purpose in life. Trying to drift you away from the fullness of God's word. The enemy has no right to, he cannot do anything to you. He can only twist them. Why do you think they call him the father of lies? His greatest tactics are simply to lie to you, to get you to believe in untruth so that you won't feed into the beauty and the power of God's word. And if you can just come to this conclusion and just sit there for a second and think at the power of what it means that God says right now today, no matter what tomorrow brings right now today, I'm sustaining you today and I'm going to sustain you every single day from this day to the day you stand before Jesus. And I'm going to sustain you to the point that when you stand before Jesus, you will be blameless and guiltless. I will see you as perfect. That should free you in a crazy, amazing way. And if you take this and you go back and you read something like Romans 8, it should open up your world for you. This is something the Lord had just placed on me. And I just want, I want to read this really. And I want you to read this. I'm going to read it slow. And I just want you to listen to every word. Just listen to every word through the lens, not the lens of religion, not the religions of your background, not pride, not humanism, not human philosophy, not the, the, the pride that we have in saying, I can do something and I can make it work. Just listen to it through the lens of God's word and God's power, that he's the one sustaining you. I just want you to think about this. And this is Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know through what? All things. We know through all things. We know through the good, we know through the bad, we know through the things we're aware of, through the things we're not aware of, we know the things of today, the things of tomorrow. We know, we know. Do you know that? Do you actually know and believe that through all things, through your relationships, through your marriage, through your first marriage, through your second marriage, through the tragedies, through the victories, through the good things, through the bad things, through the division in our country, through the protests, through whatever standing on, through everything, through everything, good, the bad, or the ugly, everything, God will work all things out to your good. All things. All things. Why? Because God is all-powerful. He's almighty. He's in control. He does not have an enemy that can stand toe-to-toe with him. He does not know or has never tasted defeat. There's nothing that can come against God. There's nothing that can say exist if God doesn't want it to exist. There's nothing that can go right if God wants it to go left. There's nothing in this world that can stand toe-to-toe with the God that you say you believe in. Why are you so afraid of tomorrow? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it is God who justifies who is he that condemns Christ Jesus died more than that he was raised to life he is at the right hand of God interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ 
Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword as it is written for its sake, for your sake, with death we face all day, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, no way. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now just think about that for a second. You have been saved by the love of Jesus Christ. The greatest problem you have in your life is nothing having to do with this world. It's not a faith put in it. The reality of what is wrong in your life is you have still yet to come to the full comprehension of the power of the God that we serve. The power of his love and what that means to your life. He says, I reached out into this world and I created you. I reached out into this world and I saved you. Long before you even knew who I was. Long before you were even in this life. Long while you were still living in sin. While you were still living in lies and living in adultery and living with addictions. While you were still living. While you were living in the darkness. I reached into the darkness with my light and I called you out. And I saved you with my love. And I gave up my own son. Why do you think that there's anything else in this this life that I would withhold from you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that called you. I pulled you into a relationship with Jesus. I saved you. I did it. You were broken. I fixed you. And now I'm the one that sustains you all the way to the end. You think you have a bad day. You don't have a bad day. You think you live on mountains and you, you live in valleys, you have victories, you have defeats. You see things through the eyes of a human and we have to start seeing things through the eyes of God. God says, I'm sustaining you. No matter what this world brings, no matter what this culture brings, no matter what demons bring or angels bring, no matter what happens in the present or the future, no matter what happens, my love, my power, for my glory, I am sustaining you through it all to the end. And if you can just for a second Come to this conclusion and believe God's word at its fullest extent. And then through God's eyes and through this truth, through his lens, and you look back at that verse, uh, 321 in Corinthians, and look at it through that and read it again, it's a totally different concept. Because if you look back and you say, okay, Paul, Paul is yours, Apollos is yours, Peter is yours, it's totally different now. If you believe that God sustains you, if you believe that God's in control, if you believe that God's all-powerful, if you believe that his love is so strong that there's nothing in heaven or hell that can separate you, if you come to that conclusion and that faith and that power of who God actually is in your life, and you lower your view of yourself just a little bit and heighten your view of God, and you see the power and the reality of God's Spirit in you, shifting you and moving you, then you would know that everybody that God raises up, every Paul, every Apollos, every Peter, every preacher, every leader, every king, everybody that God raises up, He raises up for His glory and your good. Everything and everybody. There's nobody that God's going to, there's nobody that's going to come into your life. There's no leader. There's no church. There's nothing that God is not going to use for his glory and your good. Even the bad things, he'll twist it and he'll change it for your good. And the world, everything in the world. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. Everything in the world. Everything that happens. Everything that takes place. God will take those things. 
as dark as they may seem, as tragic as they may seem, God will take those things and he will use them for his glory and your good. And if you doubt that, if you don't believe that, it's because you don't view God in the way that you should. It's because you, don't, you haven't come to that place in your life where you look in and you believe with all of your heart. You know that there is nobody that can stand totally. There's nothing that is stronger than God. When you look into the brokenness of this world, you look into the tragedy of this world, God will move in it and use it for his glory and your good. And your life. For an unbeliever. I mean, I want you to think about this. For an unbeliever, for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody that doesn't know the love of Christ, somebody that hasn't experienced the power of God, life is meaningless. Life is pointless. I mean, how many times have we, how many rock stars and movie stars and people who have achieved all the things that you think will bring happiness, they actually have it and then they end their life. Because I think the greatest tragedy in the human world is that they gain the things that they think will bring peace and they realize that it doesn't and so they end it and they can't get through it because every, they put their mind, if I get this, if I can accomplish this, if I can build this, if I can consume this, if I can have this, if I can get this famous, if I can do this, and then they get that thing and they realize they're still empty inside. For a believer, life owns them. I mean, for a believer, life doesn't own them. They, they have a right to it. Because we, we have a purpose in Christ. God begins to move in our life, shift us away from emptiness, shift us away from depression, shift us away from anxiety, shift us away from insecurities. When, when we start to look at life through God's lens, through that reality that God is perfect, He's almighty, He's all-powerful, then we know that we were created in the image of God. And whatever it looked like, we're beautiful. We know that, that in this life, God will open up the doors that we should walk through and shut the ones we shouldn't. We know that whether we, we get the job we're trying to get or we don't get it, we know that God's love sustaining us and that God loves us, molding us. Remember what Romans said. He's, he's forming you. He's molding you into the image of Jesus Christ. God will use trials, persecution to make you better, to make you stronger, to prepare you for the purpose in the future. If you get to this place, and, I, and, and I, it's one of those things where it's just like if you can come to this conclusion, because if you're sitting in life, if you're sitting in life and you think that this life is dependent on your faithfulness, you're going to have season after season after season of discontentment, season after season of emptiness, season after season of, of looking for it, but if you get to this place where you know I'm looking at life through the lens of God, God Almighty, my Father, my Creator, my Savior, my Sustainer, He is, he is sustaining me in this life. And when I try to go right, He'll do what He needs to do to get me back. If I try to go left, He's going to do. He's going to put. He's going to mold. He's going to move. He's going to transform. He's going to fill. He's going to give the talent. He's going to give the anointing. He's going he's to move in my life and prepare me for the future. And death, death for an unbeliever should be the most terrifying thing in existence because no matter what you try to accomplish, death's going to take it from you. But for a believer, for somebody whose faith is in Jesus, for somebody who knows God is almighty and all-powerful, death is the thing that's going to take you away from the sin and the corruption and the darkness of this world. Death is going to be it's the doorway to eternity with Christ. It's not the, it's not the worst thing. It's the greatest thing. 
Can you imagine if you live in a life where you don't fear death? And I know that there's some young people in here, and, and I know that there's some healthy people in here, and, and right now, death's just not something you really sit around and think about. But there's some people sitting in this very room, you know right now, you're older than you used to be. And you know right now, you're sicker than you used to be. And you know right now that any given day, death could come to your door. And you don't need to sit in this life in despair and worry and sadness. You need to be filled with faith and joy knowing that if death comes five minutes from now, right on the other side of that second, you will be sitting in the glory and the majesty of God and a joy and a peace that we could never know in this life. This is the thing that I want you to understand, the depth that Paul's getting to. He says, no matter what you think about church, no matter what you think about religion, no matter what you think about Jesus or God, you know that death is real. And death will end what you call life. But he says, for those who their faith is in Jesus, death doesn't own you, you own death. Jesus died on the cross. He went down and he took the keys of the grave and handed him to his father. And now we don't have to fear that thing called death. I can look into death and all death is to me, it's just that reminder. I've got one more day to serve God. I've got one more day to lift up his name. I've got one more day to build up his kingdom. I've got one more day to matter because when I get to death, it, this life, this sin, this corruption, this thing's over and I get to live in the glory and the presence of God. That's why when you get to the fullness of this, when you get to, that's why Paul can make a statement. Paul can make a statement like this. To die is gain. You can't say that. Because you got something you got to do Friday. We're so in love with this world. We're so in love with what's around us. But the more in love you fall with Jesus, the more in love you fall with the power of God, the more you realize the worthlessness and the meaningness of this world. And you start to look towards death. And you say, to die is gain. To live in this life is Christ. But to die is is gain. And he says the, the present, everything going on in your life right now, see if you believe this reality, if you can get to this knowledge of God, if you can just believe it, put aside religion, put aside humanism, put aside your pride, put aside your background and just look at God's word for what it is and believe it wholeheartedly, then this is your reality. I live today and no matter what's around me, no matter what's going on in my marriage, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on at school, what's going on at work, what's going on in the government, what's going on in the NFL, what's going on in the protests, what's going on in the Republican Party, what's going on in the Democrat Party, what's going on in the Middle East doesn't matter my present is going to be work out for my good because of my God because there's nobody in this not a kingdom not a nation there's nothing that stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with God so I know right now no matter what other people say and what other people do and even my own mistakes I know that God is with me and when he's with me who can be against me nobody that's the reality of falling in love with God that's the reality and, and it should free you and then the future this is the one that gets so many of us, especially in this day and age, not knowing, not knowing what tomorrow holds, who cares? Not knowing, not knowing what's gonna be five years from now, who cares? Because if you've got a right place with God and you've got that knowledge and that fullness and you're looking through life with God's lens, not your own, if you're living dependent on the faithfulness of God and not your own, all you know is this reality. Five years from now, whatever's going on, it's for God's glory and my good. Fear should disappear. Worry should disappear. Anxiety should disappear. Knowing I am made perfect in God. I'm, God doesn't make mistakes. I exist because God breathed life into me. 
And as long as I'm alive, God's going to work things out for his glory and my good. And whether I got five years left or 30 years left or 100 years left, whatever the future brings, I know I'm already reigning victorious. Not because of me or my faithfulness, but because I serve a God that sustains me. Because I'm of Christ and Christ is of God. Because I've got the fullness of it. Here's the thing. I know. I know that for some of the people sitting in this very room, it's difficult for you to latch on to this. But my prayer is that through the course of this series, that the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and will implant it into your heart and your mind and will give you the freedom and the knowledge of knowing that your life is not dependent on your faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. And that you aren't the one sustaining you because you couldn't sustain yourself if you tried. You can't follow through with the things. You can't follow with New Year's resolutions, let alone a lifelong purpose. You aren't wise enough, smart enough. That's why between chapter 1 and chapter 3, he spends two chapters dissecting human wisdom. We are so filled with, with the wisdom of this world and the culture of this world. And the enemy has got so many things. To all, and he's just trying to get you just to not believe a little bit. Because if, if, if he can get you just to believe that, that, that your future is not dependent on the faithfulness of God, then he knows he's got you. If he can get you when you get that news from the doctor and you know that death may be a possibility, he knows that he can get you if he can just get you worried. Just get you knowing that it's, it's dependent on your power. It's dependent on you. It's dependent on your talent. It's dependent on your strength. Not for Paul, not for believers, not for me, shouldn't be for you. The world, life, death, the present, and the future will work out for God's glory and our good. Not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect. Not because we're faithful, but because he's faithful. Not because we have some type of power, skill, or ability, but because God is all-powerful. And he's made a promise to you, no matter where you are today, I will sustain you. Whatever you walk through, whatever victory, whatever challenge, whatever sickness, whatever disease, whatever persecution, whatever, whatever comes your way, I'm going to be there to sustain you through it. I'm going to sustain you all the way to the end. So I want to encourage you this morning as we stand here in a minute and we begin to worship. I pray right now that you will just turn your heart and your mind to God. Even if you can't fully comprehend the fullness of this yet. That you will open yourself up and humble yourself before the God that created you and the God that saves you and the God that promises to sustain you. That he will give you faith to believe his word and walk in the freedom that we deserve. Not because of something we've done, but because Christ bought it for us.